The text for the sermon this morning is verse 10 of Daniel 6, verse 10. Read that verse again. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So far, the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also boys and girls, guests among us, I trust you know all, something of all the things that Daniel went through when he was uh, brought to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar after the first fall of Jerusalem. He was taken to Babylon as captive around 14 years of age to, well, he, he was there till after our passage, Daniel 6. When, he, when Daniel 6 took place, he was around 80 years of age. He probably lived to be around 88 or so, as we learn from archaeology about the uh, empires at the, that time. As a young boy brought to Babylon, he didn't fall for the temptation to eat the king's rich and unclean foods. Then he courageously stepped forward to explain Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the image smashed by the great stone cut by no human hand. And then he had to tell the, the king that though his kingdom was magnificent in gold, it was the golden head, it would eventually go under, be crushed. And later, Daniel had to tell Nebuchadnezzar that the tree that was cut down in his dream was Nebuchadnezzar himself. The king would be brought low by the Lord God, become an animal almost. And Daniel had to translate those difficult words written by the Lord's hand to King Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. God has numbered the days of your kingdom for you. You have been weighed and found wanting. Your kingdom will fall this night to the Medes and Persians. You had to tell them that too. And had to talk to those mighty kings who could order him executed at any moment. And he had to stand there and tell them the truth. How could he do that? How was he able to do that? In chapter 6, Daniel was 80 years old around that time. We see him in Babylon as the highest of the three presidents. King Darius set over the 120 satraps over the whole kingdom. How could Daniel keep standing in his faith through all those temptations and responsibilities in that pagan government? How was he able to do that? What was the secret that helped him through all the stresses that all of that brought with it? That's something we could learn from today too, right? How can I remain true to my Lord and to my faith in the world I live in today, surrounded by the, the people who don't know God, don't believe in God, who reject Him even? How can I remain bold in my Christian life and in my witness to others? How can I stay true to the Lord in my daily tasks? How can I as parent remain true to the Lord in the upbringing of my children? 
And as a student, how can I stand up for my Christian beliefs at school, college, university? Where can I get the strength, the courage to stand up under those pressures? With that in mind, let's consider in our text, Daniel prayed as previously. We consider three things about prayer from that. Prayer needed, prayer explained, and prayer threatened. So first of all, prayer needed. Congregation, Daniel 6 shows us very clearly the secret of Daniel's ability to remain standing in his faith, in his covenant God, through, all the, through everything that he had to go through in Babylon. Prayer. Prayer. Continual prayer. Our text shows that Daniel was a man of prayer. He was in the, it was his custom to pray, to give thanks at least three times a day at windows opened to Jerusalem. We can safely assume that he also prayed at other times, but those three times of prayer towards Jerusalem were, were set in stone for him, so to speak. His prayer life was the secret of his steadfastness and faithfulness and boldness in his faith there in Babylon. He could fulfill his difficult tasks in government as a believer only through regular daily prayer. To remain faithful and bold even in time of trial and temptation, you see, we need to have a living prayer life. We all need living prayer life like that, brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls. You can compare prayer to a pipeline, an irrigation pipeline in the desert. Dry land can become fruitful when the water is brought to it via a pipeline, irrigated, that irrigate the desert by means of the water brought via the pipeline. The dry soil of the desert becomes fruitful ground. And that's, that's the picture of how our hearts and lives, which are dry and unfruitful by nature, receive the Spirit and His gifts and become fruitful and faithful to God. Prayer is the pipeline between the lake of blessings which Christ has obtained for us and the wilderness of our hearts and lives. Prayer is asking the Lord God for everything that Christ has obtained for us by His death and resurrection It's the pipeline to our lives. It's asking for Christ's life, his blood, his grace, his strength, his wisdom, his peace. That's prayer. Praying with a dry heart for the refreshing waters of what has been obtained for us and promised to us in Jesus Christ. The pipeline of all his blessings for our hearts and lives so we can stand as his people in the middle of this world. And the more faithful we are in prayer, the bigger the pipeline of blessings and the stronger we can stand. Is that how you see prayer? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, young people, is that what drives your prayer life? That it's that pipeline? You know who also had a living prayer life? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. When he was on earth, he would have also taken the Jewish tradition of time of prayer for three times a day. He would have done that too, just like Daniel. And the Gospels show him in prayer at many important points in his life on earth. You can think here of the Gospel of Luke. I'll just give some examples from the Gospel of Luke. 
Luke 3, it says that he prayed at his baptism in the Jordan. He came out of the water and he prayed. Luke 5, it says that Jesus often withdrew to desolate places to pray. Often. Luke 6 tells us that he prayed all night before he chose 12 of his disciples to be his apostles. Luke 9, 18, it says, And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do people say I am? He was praying alone. Think of how the Lord Jesus is shown in Luke 22, wrestling in prayer to his father in Gethsemane before his arrest. Remember how he prayed for forgiveness for those who crucified him. Remember how he prayed on the cross. The Son of God prayed constantly as he went about his task here on earth. Apparently, the Son of God couldn't go forward without prayer when he was here. So is it possible for us to think then, Jesus need prayer, but I can do without regular prayer? What arrogance that would be, right? What an underestimation of our task and the temptations that await us in this world and of our own weakness. If we, we think we don't need prayer like our Savior did during his earthly walk and work, the Spirit was on him and he prayed often. If there is someone who teaches and gives prayer, it's the Lord Jesus. His example calls us to follow him in that, to have a, prayer, a living prayer life, a, a, a prayerful life, you could also call it. Prayer is the pipeline through which the Savior now can pour his blessings and gifts into your life. And we also confess Lord's Day 45. God grants his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. Daniel knew that, and therefore he prayed constantly there in his house in Babylon. And he kept praying, even when that prayer was attacked. What was his prayer about? And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, prayer explained. Our text congregation mentioned something specific about Daniel's prayer. We're told that he prayed in his upper chamber with windows open toward Jerusalem. Why does the Spirit tell us that Daniel's windows were open toward Jerusalem in, in our text? After all, Daniel certainly couldn't see Jerusalem from where he was. It was 800 kilometers from Babylon as the crow flies. That's like from here to New York City. So window open or shut made no real difference as far as that goes. But those windows open toward Jerusalem certainly had a purpose for Daniel. They put Jerusalem to mind for him. Jerusalem. Every time Daniel got on his knees in, in front of those windows open toward that city, he, he thought of Jerusalem. And what would he be thinking about Jerusalem when he prayed facing that city? Well, in the first place, he would think of how the city had been destroyed and burned and plundered by the Babylonians. And it's true, Daniel had it good there in Babylon. He had been rewarded with the highest possible offer, office in the land under King Darius. He must have had a pretty good life materially, nice big mansion and, and servants and so on. But when he prayed... Jerusalem came to his mind, his thoughts. The city and the temple where God's name dwelt in Israel, 
completely ruined and forsaken there. That was close, closest to his heart. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. God's name, his kingdom, his church were there. That's what, what he was thinking about. Brothers and sisters, that reminds us what we ought to pray, that we ought to pray with open window toward Jerusalem too. Not to the literal city today, but to the kingdom and the church of the Lord in this world. God's church and kingdom should be close to our hearts too. Maybe we have it really good. Good health, good marriage, happy family, great job, nice house. But is God's name still in those things? Can God's work be seen in those things? Or are, they, are there some ruins where once God was at the center of everything and they're now just simply ruined? How much have come to ruin maybe? What about the state of Christ's kingdom and church in our nation and in the world? How much ruin has there not been? That's something to take to heart, to pray about. There's so much pressure on the church of Christ today, persecution, secularization, materialism, oppression. So many churches are becoming empty. So many have been closed, sold to become yoga centers and condominiums. So we we live among a new generation of Canadians who basically know nothing about God and about the Christian roots of this country. Their norms and values are completely secular, grounded in their own wants and their feelings. That's something to think about. When you pray, Christ's church, so much has been and is still being ruined and wrecked. Rise up, Lord, gather, build, protect your holy Catholic church here and abroad. Let your kingdom come in this world. But in the second place, congregation, those windows open toward Jerusalem also reminded Daniel of God's great and everlasting promises. And they were grounded in that city, Jerusalem. It was a city of promise. The Lord, the God of the covenant, had promised that his name would live there and that salvation would come out of Zion. A son of David would rise there. He would bring salvation and kingdom, the kingdom of God. That, that Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem signified his hope in those promises of God. And that's something that we can also keep in mind in our own prayers, that we need to keep in mind. Pray for God to fulfill his promises to his people and to us. Think of what the triune God has promised at our baptism and the baptism of our children. We hope to hear those promises again this afternoon at a baptism. That as Father, He will avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. As Son, He will wash away all our sins. And as the Spirit, He will give us faith and renew us. God wants us to pray continually for the fulfillment of those promises to us. Which He made to us and sealed to us in our children in baptism. Otherwise, how can we and our children and our grandchildren continue in the Lord? Unless we keep seeking the Lord's promises unless we keep that pipeline open to our own lives and hearts. Oh Lord, deal with us according to your promises that you made to us and our family, to your church in this world. And Daniel, of course, also knew of the promise made by God through the prophet Jeremiah that after 70 years of exile, the Lord God would deliver his people 
from Babylon, bring them back to Jerusalem. So Daniel knew that the stay of the Jews in Babylon was just temporary. In the future, they would be back in Zion. They would be brought back. In Babylon, they were strangers and exiles. Jerusalem, where God lived among his people, that was their real home. And that's something for us to think about when we pray too. We're strangers and exiles here in this world. Our real home and destination is the heavenly Jerusalem. And we long to stand at the gates of that city as we sang at the beginning of this service in Psalm 122. And you see, that all of this is praying with your windows open toward Jerusalem, like Daniel in the text. He faced Jerusalem when he prayed, so, and it, it helped him to focus on what was truly important for him and all Israel so that he could pray for that. Keep that in mind. Congregation, could we maybe use helps like that for our prayer too? To keep us focused on Christ's church and kingdom? On his gracious promises to us and to his people? To, to the new Jerusalem? To keep us focused on the new Jerusalem too? We should use helps, you know. And there are helps. Our helps today can be making sure that we read the local church news, keep up with church life here and also wider in Clarion and so on, attend mission presentations, follow what's going on with mission and mission aid, keep up to date with what's going on with the church federation and the assemblies. You can do that on the internet beautifully. See what's going on. Keep a biblical perspective on today's political and social issues by reading Reformed Perspective and, and follow and support Association for Reformed Political Action and read the news about persecuted Christians in other places on, on the Open Doors website or so. See if someone knows more about, you know, if someone knows more about sports and about the latest movies than what's going on with the Church of Christ. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. No, if you keep knowledgeable about what's going on with church and with kingdom, you'll have your windows open toward Jerusalem too. And you'll know what to pray for. And of course, open your Bible then too. And be there when the Bible is opened every Sunday and when the sacraments are administered. And then you learn more and more to know what God has promised you and all his people, what he has promised to do. And you'll be more and more focused on eternal matters in your life. And then your desire will be more and more set to set your feet within the gates of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem then. That's having your windows open to Jerusalem too, like Daniel. And then you know what to pray for every day. See, if, you're, if your windows toward Jerusalem swing closed more and more, then you end up praying only for earthly things and for yourself, for your own health, for your job, for your protection, but little else, maybe a couple of friends. And then you actually pray without much hope and expectation, and then you lose sight of eternity, and you live and also pray only for the here and now. Closed windows lead to blocked prayer pipelines through which few, if any, blessings and gifts can flow into your heart and your life. And then the desert dries up spiritually 
and you're vulnerable to temptations and you're afraid to stand out from those around you. Brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls, I hope you see how Daniel teaches us to pray with windows open toward Jerusalem. We come to the last part of the sermon this morning, prayer threatened. Congregation, there were hungry lions in Daniel 6, hungry lions. Daniel ends up being thrown into the lion's den and those lions were kept practically starved. But God sent an angel to shut the mouths of hungry lions so that they wouldn't harm him. But that's actually not the only time that lions come to the fore in this chapter. There's also, there are also metaphorical lions. Remember how the apostle Peter warns Christians, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That lion is also in our text near the beginning already. He was after Daniel. And he used the leaders of Babylon for that purpose, to get Daniel, get at Daniel. They resented his position, and so they attacked his prayer life. They couldn't find anything else. It was the only way they could get at him, they realized. They had looked for dirt on him, the way politicians sometimes do, especially around election time. But even though there was most likely corruption throughout the halls of government there in Babylon, they couldn't find anything to make an accusation against Daniel. And isn't that how it should be with Christians? In whatever responsibility he or she has, that non-Christians and anti-Christians have to admit you're faithful in your work at home, in your studies, for instance, no corruption, no defrauding, no illegal activity, no misconduct. That's how it should be. Because if a Christian is caught in, in, in a sin, right away God's name is besmirched and dishonored. But if they wanted to find a complaint against Daniel, it had to be in connection with his religion and his prayer life, they realized. See, those, those other leaders knew that Daniel treated, retreated to the upper rooms of his house to pray three times a day. They had, they had watched him. They knew what he was doing. Congregation, people watch you. They know what you're up to. They saw him going up to pray three times a day and communicate with his God, with his windows open toward the west, toward Jerusalem. And, and then you realize, too, that when he did that, it was just more than just a quick prayer for God's people, for his city and temple and fulfillment of his promises, as we mentioned before. He made a habit of at least those three times of prayer, kneeling down, taking the time to pray. And then you realize it's a, it's a good thing to make a habit of regular prayer times. Not that your prayer becomes a custom, but the times that you approach God can be regular and customary. Also, if, if it's busy and you're anxious to get something done, take the time and don't, don't waver from your custom Pray at regular times, otherwise the, the wilderness that is by nature your heart and your life will dry up 
for lack of the water of God's grace and spirit and blessings. And parents and grandparents, give a good example to the younger generation in that. Don't waver from what you do. You're saying your prayer at mealtime and so on. But those Babylonian leaders, you realize, they managed to get this law passed so that Daniel wasn't allowed to pray as he normally did for 30 days. 30 days without open contact with his God in prayer. That probably wouldn't happen here in Canada today that we wouldn't be allowed to pray as Christians for a month, say, that the parliament would pass a law for that. But, but don't kid yourself. The devil, that roaring lion, is still around, still doing his utmost. But today, right now, he's using different tactics. He tries to undermine your prayer life by making you too busy to pray or filling your free time with all kinds of interesting and exciting things to do, like being busy with friends on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. You have so, that you, you're so busy with those things, you don't really have time to pray. But what would you think today if the internet and the phone networks ended up being shut down for 30 days? And you couldn't have contact with your friends via email and social media. I think... There would be a revolution here in this country. 30 days. See, the, de- the devil does his utmost to shut down our communication with God, our God and Savior today too. Different ways, but he still tries his best. In the context of prayer, it says in James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that, and that tells you that the devil hates prayer more than Christian magazines or theological conferences or marriage seminars or whatever, whatever, no matter how good those things might be, he cannot stand prayer. And he'll do everything in his power to distract us from engaging in that dangerous activity for him. He knows if he can pinch off that pipeline of God's grace in Christ and his Holy Spirit into our lives, he can cause our spiritual life to dry up. How successful is the devil in doing that in your life, brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls? Daniel couldn't do without prayer. And note that when he When that law came into effect, he didn't think, well, you know, I can simply not kneel, maybe just stand in the corner and not look toward Jerusalem, keep my windows closed, just pray in my heart silently. Nobody will notice that I've prayed to God then, and then I can keep my position in government, and maybe then I can even mean a lot for God's people and his kingdom in Babylon yet. After all, if I'm caught praying, who will work for God's people and let his word be heard here in Babylon? I'll be chucked in a lion's den. Daniel didn't reason like that. He simply prayed as his custom, as he always did. He kneeled and he prayed before those windows which were open toward Jerusalem. Kept praying, simply kept praying for God's kingdom and church and for the return of to Jerusalem, just like he did later on too in Daniel 9. And you could be sure, he also prayed that the Lord would uphold him and all the Jews in Babylon during those 30 days that they weren't allowed to pray to anyone by law. Why 
could Daniel not stop praying? And here I have to think of what John Calvin has once said about prayer. He called prayer the breath of the soul for believers. Now physical life, your physical life requires constant breathing in and out to keep alive. You breathe out carbon dioxide, you breathe in oxygen, which your body needs to live. Well, spiritual life requires constant breathing in and out to stay alive too. You breathe out, you expel the carbon dioxide of your sins and troubles and cares and anxieties. And you breathe in the oxygen of God's grace in Christ, his forgiveness, the power of his spirit, the blessings of the cross. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, try to hold your physical breath for a day, for an hour, for half an hour. Impossible, right? You would die. The longer you hold your breath, the greater the need to breathe becomes. And the same applies to every true believer. Ask that person not to pray for a month or for a day, even half a day. For a true believer, he won't do it because he knows the longer there's no prayer, the greater the need to pray becomes the spirit forces the soul to breathe. Congregation, that's why Daniel kept praying as before. Daniel could not stop, even though it would mean that he would be thrown into the lion's den. And that's because the Spirit pushed him and heaven drew him to keep praying as before. And how did Daniel keep standing as believer there in Babylon in the face of all those pressures? And how can we remain standing through all the pressures and temptations and trials of our day today? Through prayer. Praying with windows open toward Jerusalem. Toward Jerusalem, which the Apostle John saw coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. Amen.